You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment on healthcare policy. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Congressman Mark Kirk. Congressman Kirk represents the 10th Congressional District of Illinois, located in the northern suburbs of Chicago. Now in his fourth term, Congressman Kirk is a member of the powerful House Appropriations Committee. He is also a Naval Reserve Intelligence Officer and the Vice Chair of the Congressional Diabetes Caucus. He also serves on the Congressional Kidney Caucus and the Biomedical Research Caucus. Welcome, Congressman Kirk. Thank you for having me. Why don't we begin our discussion with the topic of medical malpractice and really what its impact is on the cost of health care. Congressman Kirk, I recently read $1,500 of the cost of each automobile made in Detroit goes towards the cost of health care. This certainly is a huge burden for manufacturers to bear. Do you think that this cost impacts our ability to be competitive in the international market? It does. I think our healthcare system is burdened with two costs, one that in the long run we probably ought to pay and one in the long run we should not pay. The American healthcare system innovates more than any other. More Nobel Prizes in medicine granted to Americans than all other countries combined, for example, in Europe. That innovation is not just an excuse for healthcare companies to make profits. It's a decision by our society to look at a group of patients right now who are treated for a disease and offer them a hope one day of being cured. The average American today who's diagnosed with cancer will survive. That was a set of innovations that came about in this country almost alone. And if we killed off that innovation engine, then we will freeze healthcare technology where it is today. And for many patients, the current technology that we have offers no hope. I think that we've, as a society, as a culture, always innovated our way out of a problem. That's a cost that we should pay. The cost that we shouldn't pay, though, is the extraordinary price we pay for frivolous lawsuits brought through the medical malpractice system. In my home state of Illinois, we are the most friendly state in the country for trial lawyers. To insure a neurosurgeon in the state of Wisconsin, the cost would be about $60,000 a year. To insure the same neurosurgeon in Illinois costs $250,000 a year. When you ask the trial bar, why the difference? They will try to say with a straight face, that's because neurosurgeons in Wisconsin are five times better than neurosurgeons in Illinois. (laughs) But we actually know it's five times more easy to bring a lawsuit, to recover, especially in a settlement, and all of those costs are borne in higher health care costs. Every time that we have incurred caps here in Illinois, it's always been shot down by the Supreme Court. Many people think of state Supreme Court, like the U.S. Supreme Court, where judges are appointed for life. In many states, though, Supreme Courts like ours are elected. And the trial bar will ensure that a majority of its own members are the majority of the court. So they consistently strike down any sort of lawsuit reform. There's a case now pending before the Illinois Supreme Court likely to strike down the Illinois malpractice reform measures. And there will be a terrible price to pay for health care, at least in this state. When you're in a state like ours, next to two lawsuit reform states, you see a steady drain of physicians away from the Illinois area. 
In the long run, I think we should have a national malpractice reform so that we don't have doctors fleeing across a state line simply because the medical malpractice situation in one state is so much worse than in another. Now, that's very interesting that you mention that because a number of my friends has left the state of Illinois specifically for that reason. What can Congress and the government really do to change this? Well, they can pass a national lawsuit reform statute that says to anyone who feels that they were harmed on the operating table, you get a full recovery of your damages. You get a full recovery of your incidental costs and lost wages. But with regard to the pain and suffering awards, where awards get upwards of 30 to $50 million, remembering that in a $30 million award, the trial lawyer collects 10 of it, the patient doesn't see that money, that we might have some restraint on that. Because in the end, that astronomical award is paid by the entire system. And the average cost of health care in the country rises because we make such awards. In other countries, especially in England, you know, often touted as a healthcare model, the rule in a lawsuit is loser pays. So bring your lawsuit if you're confident and you feel you were harmed. But you will be paying everyone's costs, especially if the court finds that the case had little merit. Courts in the United States rarely ever charge for a frivolous lawsuit. Everybody is welcomed at the courthouse door, and many plaintiff's attorneys simply file the suit expecting and receiving a settlement payment, which also drives up the cost of health care. Is this a bipartisan agreement? No. There are members of Congress on both sides of the aisle that support lawsuit reform. But in general, this is a pretty partisan issue. The trial bar overwhelmingly supports Democratic members of Congress. They allow the candidates that they support to have a wide range of issue that they can support. But the one thing that they will extract from the members of Congress that they're backing is you must oppose lawsuit reform. And so large numbers of that party do. How do you think that this issue affects health care delivery? It makes it much more expensive. There's a kind of jackpot justice if you hit the right jury and the right judge. It can completely destroy a career for someone because once you get into pain and suffering, you can get an astronomical number. It also affects certain specialties, you know, impacts their practice far more than others. When you deal with OBGYN, you've got two potential plaintiffs. So that's why we have such a shortage of OB-GYNs in our state, for example. Neurosurgery also tends to yield dramatic plaintiffs, which will lead to large recoveries. But over time, as these awards are granted, you run out of neurosurgeons. For example, in my congressional district, we're down to only four. Unfortunately, the trial bar can't help itself. And the one big way to prevent malpractice is simply to drive key specialties entirely out of the practice of medicine. But at that point, the entire society suffers because when your son or daughter needs emergency care, if a qualified specialist is not there, no malpractice will occur, but you're going to lose the patient. Now, when we talk about malpractice and litigation as aspects of healthcare policy, let's talk about the patient who cannot receive health care from their employer. How then do they get access to care? I mean, should there be national health insurance? Should there be universal enrollment? Should there be essential hospitalization? Well, I think what the government should do is expand access to care. For example, like the state children's health plan that we talked about that should be enacted over the president's veto, 
We should also allow association health plans to hit that critical small employer market where so many of those 20 and 30-year-olds that are uncovered are uh, kept. One thing that I would hold off on, though, is a government takeover of health care. Why is that? Because in the end, when a government seizes control of an entire part of the economy, it experiences inflation. And I speak as someone who went to the London School of Economics, and there are two sides of inflation. One is higher costs, but if the government takes over, shortage. And once you have a fully government-controlled healthcare system, the government starts to make care rationing decisions. This is very common, for example, in the United Kingdom where I used to live, where long waiting lists aren't just used to delay care. The system knows that some patients will expire waiting for the care that they need. That is a cost containment measure. Very few Americans wish to give a Washington bureaucrat total control of their health care to say no for a loved one who needs a procedure. There's also a very interesting term, well-known to Canadians, but unknown to Americans, and that's called fargoing a patient. What's that? Fargoing a patient is unknown in the United States because it simply doesn't happen here. But in Canada, the government-controlled health care system rations care. And so if you're told that you face a life-debilitating situation and you've got to wait six to eight months, many times they will ask for a referral from their physician to Fargo, North Dakota. They'll go across the international line and pay for the American health care right away for peace of mind, for the quick procedure, to get out of the government-controlled system as fast as they can and seek care. Despite all of the praise that a Michael Moore would give the Canadian system, we see so many Canadians coming to the United States because the government has said no to their care up there. Why then do so many countries say that our system is so flawed? I think for two reasons. Number one, they've gone for the quick fix. As long as the United States of America exists, you'll have health care innovation. In economics, we would call this the free rider problem, where one country is innovating and giving new hope to patients, and so all others are simply riding on those innovations. It's a sad world in which medical researchers, device implementers, etc., really don't have much room to grow in Europe and other socialized countries. Those countries have made the decision that the healthcare sector simply will be less dynamic and offer less long-term hope to patients than our system. But if you socialize everything and set a state-controlled price, you certainly will see a lower price. But it's a little like walking into a Russian restaurant during the Soviet Union. The experience of most American tourists were that you would come into one of the storied Russian restaurants in Moscow, see a fabulous czarist menu with a hundred items on the menu. And then when you try to order each one, you're told it's out or not available. Well, what should we do? in terms of the patients who cannot get insurance through traditional insurance companies, cannot get insurance through their employer, and have to go to the emergency room actually for routine medical care. Under every state's law, they have to receive that care. This is the most expensive and inefficient way to deliver health care. But as a society, we have made this decision that health care is different than the provisions of other services. Even in veterinary care, we do not have the requirement that when a sick dog presents and is completely unable to pay, the vet is not required to render assistance. In healthcare, we've decided it is. In the real world and the real economy, then, what actually happens is cost shifting. 
And that's exactly how just about every major healthcare institution operates. Could you define that? Cost shifting is simply increasing the insurance rates on everybody who are paying to cover the uninsured of people who present at the emergency room and get care. Is that right? In the long run, no. Although what I think is we need to foster better and better ways for people to have a direct relationship with a healthcare insurer and provider on their own rather than the other side of the equation, which is to have the government take over the entire system. We see every day the problems of a government-controlled healthcare system. Shortage, waiting lines, no access to care. I think the best way to make the American system work is simply to expand the affordability and access to healthcare insurance so that people get it on their own. I want to thank Congressman Kirk, who has been our guest. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to a special segment on health care on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.